Hi everyone and welcome to the latest episode of OC Talks, the podcast by Oncology Central. I'm Rachel Jenkins, Publishing Manager at Future Science Group, and I'm joined today by Dr. Sharif Ibrahim from the Rochester Dermatologic Surgery in New York. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Ibrahim. To start us off, please could you give our listeners a brief introduction to cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma and the current risk stratification methods for the disease? Thank you for having me, Rachel. I'd be happy to talk to our listeners a little bit more about a condition that we're seeing so much more of, um, certainly in this country. Um, So cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma is the second most common skin cancer that we're seeing after basal cell cancer. And like other forms of UV-related cancers are, are exponentially on the rise. And, you know, if we look at disease-related mortality for squamous cell carcinoma, we're seeing an increasing trend such that now deaths related to squamous cell cancer outpace those from melanoma. And so in our, in our field of dermatology, we're used to saying that melanoma is the deadliest skin cancer. And that might be true from a percentage of cases that go on to bad outcome. But because the overall number of squamous cell carcinomas is so much higher, we do see an overall mortality uh, that is higher, even though the mortality rate might be lower. And so currently we uh, are doing our best to stratify risk for a given squamous cell carcinoma to see which of these cancers might go on to a metastatic or other uh, poor outcome down the road. And really there are three um, risk uh, stratification systems or staging systems that are in existence of which two, the AJCC8 uh, and the Brigham and Women's or BWH, Brigham and Women's Hospital Staging System are being used. And both of them rely on uh, clinical pathologic features of the cancer, such as the tumor size, um, perhaps the degree of differentiation, for instance, in the Brigham and Women's Hospital System, if the tumor's poorly differentiated or if they have perineural invasions. So we can use things um, uh, of those nature to stratify risk and do our best. Um, I think those are the two main systems that we're using now. Perfect, thank you for that introduction. So following on from that, what would you say are some of the limitations the metastatic risk assessments currently use for staging cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma in the clinic? Well, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, if we look at the performance of clinical pathologic risk factors alone, uh, we see that about one third of patients with metastatic disease were classified as being low risk. So having, you know, no high risk features. And the converse of that is that that up to 75% of those patients who are classified as being high risk for metastases do not go on to have an event. And so, uh, you know, we, we still don't really even know what the overall metastatic uh, rate is for squamous cell carcinomas. I think if you, if you look uh, across cohorts from all the big studies that have been done, our best estimate is somewhere around 6% or less than 6% of all of these tumors spread. But you know, because so many of these cancers do display some uh, number of high-risk features and therefore are classified as being high-risk, we're definitely over categorizing a large number of these tumors as being high risk and then missing about a third of the tumors that we're classifying as low risk that do go on 
to uh, to have metastatic spread. So clearly, we've made some advancements in in clinical pathologic risk factors alone, and the, the current staging systems and the newest versions of these staging systems. But we can we can definitely do better. Thank you. So you have had a recent publication in Future Oncology investigating the use of the 40 gene expression profile test for enhancing these risk assessments in the disease. Could you tell us a bit more about this paper, please? Yeah, I would be happy to. So um, our paper further expands upon a recent study that we, we published in the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology about a year ago, uh, introducing a 40 gene panel uh, gene expression profile test in conjunction with the, uh, with the people at Castle Biosciences to be able to determine an independent biologic risk for metastatic spread. And so this can be used, uh, this is uh, intended to use population of those tumors that uh, are already classified as being high risk by the presence of as little as one high risk feature. Then these tumors are, um, undergo uh, expression, gene expression profiling uh, with 40 genes of interest from the original primary tumor uh, using an RT-PCR technique then applying a validated neural network algorithm to uh, classify patients as either having a low, moderate, or high biological uh, risk score. And so they get a class of class 1 being low risk, uh, class 2A being moderate risk, or class 2B being having high biological risk. And so really when taking in conjunction with the clinical pathologic risk factors, we can start to gain information uh, that really um, further elucidates a patient's uh, likelihood of metastatic spread. And so if a patient is, is classified as being class one, they have less than half the risk uh, of metastatic spread. If we look at a patient with a class 2A, they have about the, the same risk as some of the very high risk features. And if they have a class 2B, it's over a 50% chance of having a metastatic event. So it really does um, uh, help us uh, come to a conclusion on an individual level of likelihood for metastatic spread. So how do you think that this test could help to overcome some of the limitations that you mentioned previously? You know, I think it's, it's really going to enhance our ability to refine staging and the uh, predictability of metastatic risk for a given tumor. I mean, we see so many tumors in our practice, essentially all of them that we see on a day in and day out basis. I mean, we see uh, many, many squamous cell cancers per day in my clinic, uh, and uh, essentially all of them are high risk cancers. And so, it becomes very challenging to understand, you know, what, what do we do with these patients? Do we send all of them for imaging? Do we send uh, them for adjuvant radiation? Clearly not all of these patients need that. You know, like we mentioned before, 75% of the um, tumors that we classify as being high risk might not actually be high risk in the, in, in the sense that they don't go on to metastasis. Uh, and so really this is going to be a tool that uh, we hope with further validation could potentially become the standard of care in uh, risk assessment for squamous cell carcinoma. Amazing, so linking to that, what are the next steps for incorporating um, the test into clinical practice and what, does, what would this mean for patients living with the disease? 
So clearly the next steps for incorporating this into clinical practice uh, is further validation. There's no question that this is something new and we're using it right now in conjunction with clinical pathologic staging. Uh, we're not yet ready to say uh, we're, we're uh, not implying to change anything that standard of care at this time. But when it comes to the management of high-risk squamous cell carcinoma, there really is no standard of care. So there are no set protocols for uh, even anything as, as simple as um, frequency of, of clinical surveillance and follow-up for imaging, for sentinel lymph node biopsies, uh, and for those patients who might benefit from adjuvant treatment, such as potentially systemic uh, immunotherapy or uh, radiation treatment. So I think the initial next step, and, and those studies are underway, is, is further validation of the 40-GEP test, uh, and then you know, generation of lots of data. And then you know, we do studies, and we, once it's validated, this becomes a springboard for numerous clinical trials downstream, because once we do identify those patients that uh, are at, at significantly higher risk for metastasis, so those class 2A and class 2B patients, the first steps will be uh, increased surveillance, right? And that might just be seeing them uh, more frequently in the clinic. It might be um, you know, doing uh, more regular imaging, whether it's ultrasound or CT scans or MRIs or PET scans. Uh, and then eventually clinical trials with interventions, such as additional adjuvant treatments in a hope to bring down that, um, the risk of, or the rates of metastases in these very high risk patients. And on the flip side, it helps when, you know, the, the patients who are potentially lower risk, we do know that a large number of those will go on to metastatic spread. So it helps us ease off the gas a little bit, potentially in those patients who are deemed to be high risk by clinical pathologic staging, but yet have a low castle class, maybe we don't do such high intensity follow-up and treatment afterwards. And the flip side, those tumors that might be lower risk by clinical pathologic staging, but higher risk by a castle class score on the GEP test, perhaps we increase the intensity of uh, surveillance and uh, plus or minus intervention. So overall, of course, we want to bring down mortality from the disease. That's our ultimate goal. Amazing. Thank you so much for answering those questions. Do you have any closing comments you'd like to make? Uh, just that it's an, an exciting time in medicine where really uh, predicting biologic risk on an individual basis is, is we can see uh, other precedents in, in diseases such as breast cancer, where that has really become standard of care. Uh, we've seen uh, Castle's earlier work with melanoma that is quickly becoming standard of care with that disease. And now the most recent uh, you know, addition to that list is squamous cell carcinoma. As we further validate this test and learn how to incorporate it into our practice, and like I said, ultimately uh, learn more about this disease, learn and develop better treatment protocols and standardization of those protocols again across multiple sites and hoping that our patients do better overall. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. And also it was great to hear about your recent work as well. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed my time. And thank you to our listeners. If you're interested in hearing more from OC Talks, then visit our podcast section on oncology-central.com. Thank you.